Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Five, four, three. Morning. Happy Thursday. Three Thursdays in a row. We did it. Consistency is key to a moderately successful podcast. <laughs> uh, Cam, I want to read you a couple um, headlines from BNN Bloomberg this morning. Obviously, as you know, we had a rate hike in Canada yesterday. As expected. Uh, yeah. So. Duh. Um, as so, predicted on this podcast last week, we were the only ones to foresee yeah. this. No economists out there no. other than us. Yeah, we got it a week early. <laughs> uh, Royal LePage says average home price down year over year in second quarter. Bank of Canada rate hike. Inflation will linger for longer, Bank of Canada says. Bank of Canada rate hike could put more pressure on landlords, expert says. Average asking price for Canadian rental unit hits record high in June. The The... The consistent word there, record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one more. Please um, click. What mortgage owners need to know about the Bank of Canada's rate hike? Mm. Mm, very interesting. I'm sure that's full of very important information. So instead of reading all five of those, like I had to, I'm going to give you a couple of my opinions that are not financial advice. So I've had nine conversations with clients, friends, whatever, this past week, who are, I think, rightfully concerned about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And it feels eerily similar to what it was like in 2021 or 2020, when everyone was kind of freaking out about an unknown virus. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of conversations with people back then where they were concerned about, oh my God, what the market's down 40%. Right now, their interest payments are up 400%. Yeah, see, the portfolio is probably doing fine. Yeah, but the interest they're paying on their house, which is generally the largest asset of a lot of these people, is not. And it's, mm-hmm. it's concerning. I mean, for some that have a $350,000 mortgage, the interest they're paying on a monthly basis is m- like dollars $1,500. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's a big piece of their wallet share. And unfortunately, that's coming from principal pay down, right? Um, and... It's hard to stomach, especially relative to what we've been used to. Since 2010, we've had rates sub 4%. Mm -hmm. Basically, our entire adult life, we've been below 4 for a mortgage. I've never owned a mortgage in the threes. And for myself, who's now buying a house that's going to have a mortgage in the high fives, it's hard to stomach. And I'm having to have this, this conversation where I talk a little bit more about how to think about your mortgage and use anecdotes from the early 2000s, late 90s, 1980s to help people understand where we're at, where we're going, and maybe even to, to think about their, their mortgage payout for not just five years, the next five years, but over the next 10, 15. So this is what my thoughts are. Again, not financial advice. Right now, the Bank of Canada is at 5%. Prime rate, 7.2. Most variable mortgages are like, if you have a nice credit rating, have a good job, you're getting prime minus 1.1. I've seen a few people a little higher than that, maybe a little lower than that, depending on how good your banker is. But that's kind of where everybody's floating. Mm -hmm. So what happens next? I think it's really important to think about the Bank of Canada and the federal, or the the Fed and what their mandate is. It's the same on both sides of of the border. It's price stability and full employment. 
So I'm going to kind of give people, uh, I'm going to go back to what I was talking about, I think just 10, 15 months ago, but price stability is about you going to the grocery store and being able to see the same prices for the goods in which you're purchasing month after month after month with a, just a bare, like a very small 0.2, increase right. on a month over month basis for a hundred bucks. It adds 30 cents every month. Like that's something that's you can handle, right? Um, now, what has been the, the greatest impact on price stability or the inflation coming down? Well, energy prices have remained or have gone down quite a bit. We've seen the price or the, the increasing price of, of food and um, natural gas for its impacts or inputs on, on agriculture. All of those things have, have made it so that inflation has kind of come back down to this three high threes rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next thing to consider is, is full employment. And this is where um, I think the rubber hits the road and where we're at today. Full employment right now, at least in the Bank of Canada's eyes, is a equilibrium between employee and employer. And for the last two and a half years, I think that employees have had the power. For sure. While sure, unemployment spiked when they were forcing businesses to close, since then, employees have had the ability to find a new employer with ease. They could go from working at X to Y and demand a 15% pay increase and a beneficial work from home schedule. Mm-hmm. That, in my opinion, is not normal. And what the Bank of Canada wants to see is, right now we're 4% unemployment, and when you think about the United States, they often are high threes, mid threes, that's full employment to them. but. You can really see the strength of that employment rate when the employee is able to swing employers really quickly and demand an increase. And we need to see a reduction in wage inflation, and we need to see an increase in unemployment. And this sounds terrible. For our Bank of Canada to, to want to put weakness into the hands of the regular working class person, it comes across as crass and terrible, but that's truly what they're going for here. And it's mostly so that they can, or at least in their opinion, and all the education that they have, they believe that this is better for the overall economy, and it's better for Canada, it's better for America, it, it maintains our, our standard of living across the country as being stable, strong, and something that you can continue to grow and improve on. So where are we right now? I think it's pretty fair to say that we found a modicum of price stability Steak is still outrageously expensive, but at least it's not getting more so. When you go to a restaurant, I haven't seen Joey's increase the prices any time or recently. They did lots of that last year. Um, you go to the pump, well, without the, with the exception of our taxes that we keep adding to our, our energy prices, <clears throat> yeah. the actual price of a barrel of oil is now sub-60 or sub-70, Brent anyways. And that is, I don't know, $55 less than it was last year at this time. So we're seeing prices come down and stabilize. We're, we're starting to see, well, just things become more stable. Mm-hmm. And that, along with housing prices, with the exception of the cost of housing, has, has started to stay the same. We have in, in that list of, of headlines I was reading, they talked about how um, housing prices, especially in our major city centers, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, Housing prices are down quite significantly. I know in Edmonton, I think um, year over year, prices are down 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, quarter over quarter, 3%. I think Calgary is the only one growing. So that's what they were trying to accomplish here. That's when they were raising rates 500 basis points or 5% in 15 months, that's what they were going for. And they've accomplished it, in my opinion. I actually think that they've, and this seems to be the sentiment on Twitter, they've accomplished their goal and they've won and they're almost at that soft landing they were looking for. So now I kind of want to put forth a prediction that is not financial advice. So in order for us to get what I believe the millennial, the person listening to this podcast wants, is rates back to high threes, mm-hmm. low fours, we need to see employment fall. And I think, or unemployment increase. And it's probably on its way. I believe October, November, you're going to finally start to see that crack. You can see it already with the um, the back to works data. Uh, data Trek has a phenomenal tracker on this. It basically says um, they can track the uh, 
the amount of time spent in office for employees. And it's gone from being like in the, in the high 30s a couple of years ago to being well above 50% on its way to 60%. And that is their indicator for whether or not the employee or the employer has power. Mm. So demanding those back to office, which seems to be the Gen Z um, uh, boomer generation, that's what they're wanting out of their employees, the management class. They're asking for their employees to come back to work. They, they're now able to flex that because those that were over the last two years, they basically said, no, I'm going to quit and go somewhere where I can work remote, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that power dynamic shifting, I think we're coming more to that equilibrium. Once we hit above 60, 65% of the time, well, I think we're, that would be an interesting um, spot in this market. So in my mind, fixed rates predetermine or they are predictive of where the Bank of Canada is going. The, bank of, the banks are trying to find a, a spot where they can find where consumers are willing to spend or buy or um, they can put on more, they can sell more product, that product being mortgage, mortgages and a rate in which they can make money, right? So it's the fixed term is often predictive. It's usually nine months ahead of the, the Bank of Canada's rate increase or rate decrease. Um, in my mind, that's likely going to start first quarter next year. I think the Bank of Canada is going to start cutting. I believe we're likely at peak fixed rates on a three and five year term. That's just a guess, but that's what I feel like is happening. Um, for me, um, I believe we're, we're it's, it's peak tightness. And um, for those buying a house right now, like myself, you're a sucker. <laughs> However, I also have, and I don't know if people listen to this for my, my real estate takes, because I'm by no means an expert in real estate, especially private residential stuff. But it's always been my opinion to buy when it's most painful. If it really hurts and it's really hard to do, it's probably the right thing to do. Go the, the road less traveled, do the things that people are less like or want, not wanting to do, and you're probably making a good investment. Um, when I think about how hard it was to buy Facebook stock last year when it was $86 a share, and everyone hated Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk was the king, and all they wanted was for, for Meta to die, and that um, the metaverse was never going to exist. You fast forward a year later, and the metaverse is cool again. Goggles are neat. Um, there's a thing called threads. Twitter's going to zero. And Mark Zuckerberg is hanging out with the two um, weight class champions of the UFC, <laughs> surfing on his wake setter and getting them hanging out on his island. Flying them out to Lake Tahoe yeah. for training. And I'm listening to a Pivot podcast where Kara Swisher, who literally despises Mark Zuckerberg, is pumping his tires talking about how awesome he is just a year later. And Scott Galloway, who thinks he's the worst person on earth, has changed his tune. He thinks that the stock is cheap. Just, I don't know, two and a, 250% later. It's unbelievable to watch the sentiment change. And when things are darkest, it's likely a great time to, to start to shop. So Darkest before the dawn. As here. they say. Yeah. Um, that's kind of my, my Canadian market mm-hmm. update. Obviously, interest rates are the hottest topic right now. I'm by no means no, no Sodomus here. I think I've been a little early on rates on a when it's stopping. I've been wrong probably by about 50 basis points. But at the same time, it really feels like they've the soft landing has almost been um, they've what's the when you're a, when you're a tower operator at an airport? I feel like the, the Bank of Canada and, and oh, the Federal they, Reserve have, has, have accomplished, they've landed their plane. Their air traffic controller. Yeah, exactly. I, I, thought they, I think they've done the a good storm. job. I think, um, yeah, I, I think generally just to, based off of what I'm looking at from like third-party sources, which I'm sure obviously you're using that to base your opinion on as well, but mm-hmm. there is, I would say, general sentiment that would say between Q1 and Q2 of 24 that that is when the expected... Uh, cut would be or the first cuts would be i think they want to sustain this level of call it pain or this this level of interest rate for the next six months i would think because like as you said if there's been indications of stabilization in certain parts of our economy and now you're getting to the set or to the stage where you're like okay well we're going to do this which again this 0.25 uh hike from yesterday was 
was well anticipated and was essentially priced in, I guess you could call it, based off of the commentary we had last week and, and just from what I think anyone would have been reading following along on, on Twitter, just general financial information that was being shared out there. So I, I think it's, it's going to be a very important next six months for sure because I think they could obviously extend the the length of time in which the interest rates stay this high but I think there's there's probably going to be a couple dominoes to fall and I think one thing I wanted to maybe continue the discussion on that you had mentioned is just in terms of employment and and where we're at with I guess that seesaw battle between employee and employer and I think there is I think one of the hottest topics that I read about this week from various sources was Canada's lack of productivity from workers. And I'm not sure if you've seen any reports on this. I, I think I, I was reading one with, with TD, for example, and I'm just going to read a quote quickly from, from this report that was released. I think it was yesterday from uh, Mark. I'm going to butcher his last name. Ercalo. And so he, it's called Mind the Gap. Canada's falling behind the standard of living curve. And there was one his kind of concluding point on here is he said it, it's becoming increasingly difficult to ignore Canada's widening real GDP per capita gap versus other major economies. The issue has largely flown under, under the radar as the Canadian economy seemingly masked ongoing productivity issues with what appears to be unsustainable growth via, via adding more workers. The crux of the problem remains the same, a sagging performance in labor productivity. And so I think a lot of that, I kind of tie that sentiment uh, from one person and to what you were talking about in terms of who holds the power in the relationship. And so I th- obviously there's a lot of really great employees out there and people who are, who are becoming more productive and are, are doing a great job for their, for their companies, for their employers. But at the same time, when, when you hold the power and when there's a lot of I guess I don't, I don't want to say concessions made per se, but when that balance of power is not very balanced, then you're able to be to do less and get the same, I guess you could call it. And I, I think this is we, we've spoken about in the previous podcast about the, the plan for Canada to really increase its, I guess, economic output by through immigration. Um, and we're a big proponent of that. But that needs to be stabilized through productivity growth as well. At the same time, that can't just be 100% based off well, of just adding more workers. And to your point, there's going to be cuts on the. Imp- we're foreseeing that there's going to be cuts on from the employment uh, perspective as well going forward. So, are you going to then? Are you going to swing the other way where we're going from? too low unemployment to too high unemployment in a very short time period if we're continuing to add workers without increasing economic output, increasing more work being completed, more jobs being out there for these people to go find, houses to have for them to live in, etc. So obviously all these things are tied. I think, it's it, to your point, I think the next six months are going to be very interesting to see what is happening on the employment side of things because I think a lot of companies are beginning to identify the fact that they are working harder for less and one of the easiest things to cut once you find a way to replace it is is your workers right so um, yeah that, that was the only thing I wanted to add to that discussion and, and say I think again we're, we're probably at the precipice now of potentially stopping the discussion around more hikes and now what's going to happen with companies narrowing in on their other issues, call it like their bottom line. And this might be something where it's like, well, we're not getting the performance that we need. So we need to take a hard look on keeping our most efficient staff and changing roles and, and, and whatnot. Um, no, I think that that was a really good point to add. And I think, I mean, it's important to understand the the GDP is a simple equation. It's it's efficiency times um, the amount of people in your population. Effectively, mm-hmm. it's the efficiency of your of your your population number. And we're very lucky to have one of those multipliers be a ever increasing number, especially as Albertans, where we see a lot of um, population growth and a lot of immigration. In Canada, just in general, being a place that people are desiring to come to, mm-hmm. I do think it speaks um, fairly loudly 
towards, I think, a two-pronged problem in our country, which is um, a real estate-dominant GDP. Uh, we are dependent on the fact yeah. that a lot of our wealth comes from our home price and it ever always going up. And then second thing, we, I, I mean, is this a tax rate problem? I don't know. We still need to become more and more competitive, right? And I don't want to fall into the trap of what has been Europe. Um, it is a deep, dark hole that they've dug themselves into. They have mm -hmm. great immigration in, in Germany, yet their productivity is, is falling off a cliff. The demographics are a little bit are poor in that country. You start to look at mm -hmm. every other country with the exception of, of France, and um, you have tax rates above 50%. You have, I mean, relatively free health care mm -hmm. and a, a beautiful country with a high standard of living, but the standard of living isn't growing. And you get political uncertainty when you have a standard of living that isn't ever increasing. Yeah. And I think that you're starting to see that obviously in, in, in Europe. And again, I don't purport to have any expertise on their political situation, but the same thing's happening in China. And this is why they're so terrified of going into any sort of recession, because when you do, and you lose that momentum from your standard of living increasing, you start to see major um, unrest in your country. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like the Canadian political environment has cooled it a little bit. Um, I'm hoping that we can, we can um, solve this GDP problem, as I believe it is a, an issue. We need to be the place where people want to come to work. Uh, how we do it is going to be, I don't know, maybe we just need a change. I'm not sure. But, uh, no, really good point. And... Yeah, I, I think, yeah, we don't need to dive into the geopolitical side of no. everything here, the, the social side per se. But um, I think there, yeah, there needs to be with your immigration policy. I think there, like, just like there needs to be a balance of power between employers and employees for a successful economy, there needs to be a balanced approach to immigration as well. Yeah. And I think obviously that, you know, I, I think we still need not not to give anybody breaks or anything like that. But I mean, we are coming through a three-year point in our lifetime that is going to be a where we're, we're going to talk about these last three years these last two years or whatever when we're 80 talking about oh, oh yeah, yeah. Mem remember this time right this is be, I, I think it'd be a very pivotal point in in a lot of, of our generation's lives in terms of where the our economies are going and how policy is shaped etc so i think we're we're our learning about new things on the fly but there is i don't know the, the productivity piece out of this was just an interesting piece and I, I think again to your i guess earlier comment when you do have this kind of imbalance in power sometimes with that relationship employer versus employee there can be it's harder to maintain that product productivity growth because not the same kind of incentive is there i guess at, at the end of the day and we all know what you and I think about incentives. So, yes, sir. So we we talked about GDP. I, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but it just GDP made me think of a tweet that I read um, in regards to one of our topics we wanted to discuss today. So, the we're going to talk about the Sphere in Las Vegas, and so anyone who was following sports Twitter or just general following along, I think there's there's this has been a pretty big news item that now that it's kind of opened and almost operational is how much it costs to build this thing. So <laughs> the, I think it was $2.5 billion. So it had, I'm looking at like old stats here, like maybe from like 2020 or something like that, but it would rank within the top 160 of GDP in the world, the cost of that, <laughs> that sphere and what it took to, to build. So, um, I, I was just, re people were comparing it to the GDP of these small islands around, uh, the Caribbean and, and whatnot. So I was getting a chuckle out of that, but there was, I think everyone's seen the, the viral videos, I guess, mm -hmm. um, of how, like what this entertainment complex is and the i guess the potential advertising play around how it's been built and and whatnot so everyone's seen like the basketball or the earth or the moon it's been lit up like that just on the side of las vegas boulevard you pull up and you're just sitting right outside this this crazy display but i think there's a kind of an interesting story behind it that you wanted to kind of get into as well yeah so um i'll I, i'm gonna go through a cash gupta's Twitter thread here. So the new sphere has 580,000 square feet of fully programmable LED lighting. Um, for those who don't know, uh, James Dolan, who 
I think is a polarizing figure in sport. In sport, is, for sure. Yep. Yeah, the the mastermind or the brain. This is his his uh, his idea. Um, James Dolan owns the the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. For those who don't know, he inherited it from his father, who was a um, self made man, and he he founded Cablevision and HBO. Um, pretty pretty important, impressive man, and. I mean, the, the, the thing that I think most people um, attach James Dolan to is his terrible record as an owner of, of um, sports franchises, <laughs> yes. and more specifically the Knicks than the Rangers. The Rangers have had a modicum of success in the past 30 years. Yeah. Um, and he's more, he's more hands-on with the Knicks, which makes it that much worse. Like, I think he's <laughs> kind of delegated the Rangers a bit because maybe he's not as much yeah. of a hockey fan, but the, I think if you're going to... I mean, New York's such a, a mecca of sport at the end of the day, but I think the Knicks are pretty synonymous. Like, I mean, I would say Knicks and Yankees would be like one, two in terms of like, these are our sports franchises. 100%. And so <laughs> he gets a hard, hard knock with ex-players, fans. They've, there's been calls for him to sell the team for a long time. Can't get a superstar to sign there. It's, yeah, it's been a tough slug in terms of his uh, sport um, what well, his legacy in sport right now is not a great one, but it's taken not, a turn that has nothing to do with so, his ability outside. So Dolan sold Cablevision at, uh, to Atlas in 2015. Amazing time, by the way, to sell. I think he has his track record in business is not to be. You know what? Often people poo-poo people that have inherited wealth from their parents. Donald Trump being one of them. I mean. I often compare it to what has your performance been versus the S&P 500. Not a bad way to look at it. Yeah. And Donald Trump has drastically underperformed based on his $600 million his daddy gave him in the 80s. He's the only man to not make money in New York real estate during the last <laughs> 35 years. Um, however, uh, James Dolan has kind of taken the reins, owned two phenomenal franchises in, in, in terms of their the value growing. Yeah. My goodness. But then also converted it into some crazy good real estate plays and actually been on the, the leading edge. I've myself, I've been to MSG. The inside of it is unbelievable. So he owns MSG, um, Madison Square Garden in New York City. And he's, he's kind of rigged it up. It's, when you go inside, it's like a museum. It's, it's incredible. The, the top of it, full of lights, um, this, this picture that I'm, I'm looking at right now um, has, you can write messages on the top of MSG. That's just, the things that he's doing is a little bit forward. Um, he's on the leading edge for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, Dolan has kind of set his sights on Vegas. He's, 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 he believes that that's um, the future of entertainment. He's, he's, I mean, I don't know if he got this idea because of, uh, of where the NHL has been um, sort of first there, mm -hmm. but he's made a really interesting play here. Vegas itself is booming. It's a great tax rate state. Um, he's made a bet, and I believe it's, it's starting to pay off. These, these um, attractions, these, these um, sports locations, mm -hmm. is something that he's focusing on a go-forward basis. He's, he's got out of his... He's done a great transition from his father's legacy business, sold them, wrapped them up, gotten rid of them at what I would deem to be darn near the high, mm -hmm. transitioned into sport at what I would say was close to the reacceleration of that S-curve. Think about sporting franchises in 2015, price-wise. They were high, but then they didn't really get stupid until Steve Ballmer came in and bought um, Clippers. the Clippers. Yeah. And then they've just gone nuclear. Mm -hmm. And people are buying NFL teams for seven, eight billion dollars. Um, when Ballmer paid two for the Clippers or a little over two, people were like, "How? What is this? It's a, it's a, it doesn't make money. How are they doing this?" And now they've become art pieces. And he's really started to to run with that ball. And this this new sphere that he's building is, in my opinion, kind of our modern day version of. The churches they used to build. Yeah, like an amphitheater, back, right? 100%, yeah. man. Yeah. They used to build these in Europe, and we're still going to visit them today, where we're, we're looking at the architecture and being like, how did they do this? Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to take 200 years, not a decade to build, yeah. and perhaps LED screens aren't going to have the same staying power as, as marble and stone, but... yeah. There's no way. I'm sure there's people who throw us at it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no way that this isn't one of the most talked about buildings on the planet right now. And 
in my opinion, can you beat the advertising value of this? I, I, if I go back to Vegas, which is very unlikely, the only reason why I'm going is because one, I probably want to go to a, um, a sporting event there, mm-hmm. or two, I want to go to a show here. Mm-hmm. Now, the only drawback is that I understand the first residency at this at the Sphere is going to be you, you, you two. I don't know if it's a residency. I think is they're doing Steve the first Jobs show. Right <laughs> I, uh, yeah, he's going to be dancing. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> hologram. Um, I think. I know what you're saying. I, I think it's actually only doing the. Sh- I didn't know about residency. I just saw. I just heard about doing the first like real show. There was going to be U two, but I, I actually was going to talk about U two because I was watching a video clip about them walking through during construction, mm. and just to your comment about, I guess maybe the future of entertainment, and this would just be a little you know small niche part of it, but they were talking about how when we go on tour, any big show goes on tour, you're going to where arenas mm-hmm. basketball stadiums you know hockey rinks whatever it might be they're not built for the acoustics are not built to house a rock show like they have to do a lot of work to make it what they sound want good. it to be to sound good and to sound how they want it to sound and obviously the <laughs> the whole idea of a dome obviously i think everyone can obviously put two and two together here you're talking about like encapsulating the sound all within uh one space i think all the seating in there is like it's it's basically at a it's like a ninety degree angle at at parts, but the the idea around it I think is really cool, and the fact that it's going to be multi use. Like I mean, so I, I off the top talked about everyone seeing the viral clip of the of it being a basketball because NBA had their summer league in Vegas, not at obviously at the Sphere, but in Vegas, and I think they have future plans to do some of their uh, summer league at Tau Nightclub or was it? Pardon me. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Yeah, I, th- I think Wemby went to Tau too many times. <laughs> so they 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 were part of kind of the they they actually kind of jumped onto the hype train a little bit with this um, due to that kind of viral clip and then them obviously hosting this summer league event there. And I just think from hearing from again Bono in this interview or whatever, but um, the general sentiment around building these call it um you know new version of amphitheater these kind of meccas of entertainment i mean what a what a cool idea and i mean what a better spot to open the first one like this anyways in vegas because as you point out it is kind of had this resurgence it's always been built off of being an entertainment city being a destination city for you know, there obviously we all know people who love Vegas and are going multiple times a year, either just because of the weather and or the casinos and or the golf or whatever it might be. They've now kind of hit this wave of of the sports entertainment side of things as well. Obviously, we're going to plug hockey and say like NHL is always going to actually have the well. I guess w, w, WNBA I guess was the first pro team there technically. Right. Um, is my understanding but then nhl and now obviously nfl has followed and mlb oakland's moving there and there's a lot of talk that as soon as lebron james calls it quits that he's going to be part of a conglomerate that that um builds their first team there yeah first team in the nba so they're going to have all four major north american sports franchises in vegas within the next decade i would say and now vegas has this built-in amazing destination for everything like think of all the packages that they're already probably currently selling for i'm sure if we went on whatever for you know visit vegas for the las vegas raiders okay here's your staying here you got this package you got this nightclub thing you got you go to the sphere and watch a club here's your all-in package boom they've jumped on this resurgence and this is just i guess to your point about kind of dolan maybe looking into the future i think this his first or he cut the ribbon on this i believe on this uh, development back in 2017 sounds pretty smart to me i mean obviously you can't I, i'm not not sure if we would have seen exactly what 2023 would have looked like but to get onto the the train of how people are spending their money in relation to entertainment and and where they will be going seems like a good bet couldn't have been easy to hold on through 21 22 <laughs> to have that sort of conviction is difficult i mean mm-hmm. if you've listened to this podcast for three years you know that um it's been a roller coaster of of I don't know, sentiment mm-hmm. um, towards, I mean, I still Wallace don't think I'm ever going on a cruise. However, 
Um, they're back, baby. They're back, baby. As a uh, <laughs> as of last, what was it? Two two episodes ago, where we talked about the share price of all those. Games. Yeah, I, it's you know what? Good for him. He's he's clearly a visionary when it comes to sports entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, good for good for him. I I don't wish the best on the on the Knicks. I don't care. Yeah. Do I care about the Rangers? No, I don't like them either. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm excited for sports. I'm excited for Vegas. I'm excited for. Um, the future of sports entertainment. I think it's really neat. But what I do want to talk about, Cam, is the sport near and dear to my heart, Live Golf, has very recently come out with uh, some new predictions. Or I, I, I think they're well, through proposals the Senate, from yeah. Live. I say through the Senate pay. hearings, I'm sure maybe people had or had not heard, but there had been multiple Senate hearings of this past week, I believe, or earlier this week, with kind of all the big hitters, with... PGA and live and there's been obviously a leak of a bunch of information that's came out of the kind of key proposals that were the draft documents like I think when we first talked about this this merger talk when it was first released everything was still on a draft basis at that time so nothing has been finalized in relation to this merger but there has been a bunch of information that has popped out from the Senate hearings to say well how did you Number one, I think obviously they're following the money, but in terms of our entertainment over how it's going to look for the golf scene going forward, there was a lot of other interesting tidbits that came out of that. Yeah, it sounds like there was five proposals, and I. Well, these are yeah, these are these are key ones with the, key proposals, yeah. and I actually thought you had a hilarious. Um, yeah. What? So my, yeah, I told Joel, I, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's from a Donald Trump book, actually. I think it is. And maybe it's from the art of the deal. Or is it rich dad, poor dad? <laughs> I don't think it's that. <laughs> I, I think I want to say to give Donnie boy his props. I think, I think I'm taking this from it or, which he probably stole. <laughs> but, he definitely, he has a ghost writer. I think it might be an, so. I think it might be an old saying in general, but when you are proposing something, if you really want one specific thing or two specific things, you should group that with three or four other things that are completely ridiculous, but say that they're all mandatory off the top. And then when you're giving concessions in negotiation, you really don't care about those three or four other things because the, the two things that are more reasonable in comparison, that's what you really want and that's what you're going to get. Which I, I mean, I, I don't think that's necessarily, an, that isn't a, a new thought, but there is... We're, the key proposals that this is so from nuclear golf I, i'm not sure so n-u-c-l-r golf uh some pseudonym obviously for a guy he, he's got you should great follow if you're interested in golf he's been throwing out pretty sick information all week that's what we've been pulling yeah. a lot of our tidbits from um so this presentation titled best of both worlds was given to heads of the pga tour here are the key proposals so tiger and rory would each own a live team tiger and rory would pay, play in 10 live events Yasir El Rumanyan. That's the guy, the head guy here of the PIF that we had talked about previously on podcasts. He would be granted an RNA and Augusta National membership. Two elevated events to be branded under Aramco and our PIF flags, with one of those events being held in Saudi Arabia. And then the Live PGA LPGA Superstar Global Team event with 16 team captains, live draft on TV, et cetera, et cetera. So out of those five things, I just know what my opinion would be is that I want that Augusta membership more than anything. <laughs> so if that's the least ridiculous, if, if, if you know a hundred percent, there's no way Tiger or Rory are ever going to agree to do this based off their original stances, which Joel notified me as of yeah. this morning, cause they're all, this over is a in, quote from Rory McIlroy this morning. If live golf was the last place to play golf on earth, I would retire. There you That's go. how I feel about it. So that key proposal getting scrapped, <laughs> if them playing in 10 live events, getting scrapped, the elevated events, obviously, being overseas, they're already doing that kind of, they've been doing that quasi over the, you know, years prior to live being around, they were starting to move into doing some events over in, in Asia in general, in the Middle East. So that's probably a go, but that membership, that old Augusta membership for... Yeah, this for guy's you, getting for that. Yasir, for sure. He's definitely getting that. That's a non-negotiable. <laughs> so I props to putting that in there, that that needs to be included in, in the merger talks is that he gets a membership of these places. So outside of that, though, I, I think the, the Senate hearing stuff obviously came largely off the backs of the fact that there is a North American or American-based 
called membership, I guess, doing business with Saudi Arabia and obviously the the backlash that we have talked about on the kind of geopolitical social side of this since day one of Live being announced is now at the highest level of the U.S. government and being discussed and saying, well, you know, how how and why are you doing this, et cetera. And it, it comes back, I mean, I think, I can't remember who was talking about it in the Senate hearing specifically and speaking to this, but essentially that they, it's kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face from the PGA's perspective. So I think in a perfect world, what, do they want to be in business with, like all things being equal, would they want to be in business with another rival league, especially from an, another, an area of the world with controversy around it? No, they do not. But this was not, if you look forward, you talked about this probably from day one. If you look forward 10 years, where are you going to be? These guys aren't going anywhere. They have way too much money. So you're going to potentially, like, and then, I, you know, neither here nor there in terms of the rhetoric that came out of this, in terms of talking about, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of people involved in the PGA that are very rich men and women and have been benefiting off of, the success of that membership over a long time but they also talked about well we have so we have so many investments in our corporate sponsorships and our charity and the way that we give back and is that going to be all are we going to are we going to ruin that for north america or for america by going head to head with this rival league and potentially be a nothing burger in 10 years and you've lost all of this hard work you've done over the last 50. Whereas do you make concessions and work with this and give up, obviously have a negotiation over what it's going to look like on a go forward basis and be able to continue to control what your North American footprint is in the relation to the game of golf and to your, you know, corporate sponsorship relationships and your charity work that you're also doing. So obviously we talked about how, Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA, has been under fire for sure from his membership and from the general public with his kind of heel turn on his perspective on things. And he's going to be taking all the bullets here while also, I'm sure, profiting quite a bit and making a bunch of money in the, in the long term. But he, I think at the end of the day, I think that, I think people can respect that sentiment that you, if you're talking about either, um, I guess it's, it's one of those, like, do you want to, do you want to give up concessions? Do you want to live on your knees or do you want to die on your back kind of thing? And it's, it's whether or not, um, and I'm not sure if living on your knees is a a great uh, analogy there, but there is going to be some concessions given here. And they, this was not something that they could have hedged against on a go forward basis, going head to head with something that is obviously been moderately successful in terms of taking talent and taking your product away from you yeah so i mean they don't even care if anyone shows up to these live events so it doesn't matter they have unlimited runway to make the pga tour weak to continue to um, expose their their weakest link, which is a dura- duration mismatch. This happens in real estate, and it also happens in business. When you have mm-hmm. athletes that can only make money for five to ten years, and you have a business that lives forever, you have a duration mismatch. They can come in, pay them a hundred mil. They don't care if they lose a hundred million. All they want is for you to be penetrated to the point in which you have to come to them or come to the table. This is. I mean, this is why oftentimes we have anti-competitive laws. This is why we have government that comes in to, to protect the little guy. But in this case, the PGA Tour felt like they were the 800-pound gorilla in this room. And they didn't think outside the box. That box being actual size. <laughs> yeah. Not importance in your sector or industry. Actual size. If Jeff Bezos comes into the room and doesn't own any real estate, or let's say it's some random industry, and he decides, hey, bud, I'm probably going to come and do this. Just because you're there and own 90% of the market or 75% of the market, this man is, <laughs> relative to your market, 10 times your size. Yep. And in this case, it was actually 100 times your size. So as much as I think... Um, PJ does need to protect 
it's very clean, strong brand. And obviously it's a little bit, it's hurt, hurting right now. It's going to be really important to maintain that aura of importance. It's still truly like a really, um, it's in airified land in my opinion. It's like, it's still above all else. And they have to clean it. You have to keep it like that in order for it to be a brand that even the PIF wants to be a part of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's they got to maintain that air of uh, that aura of, of scarcity, of, of importance for people to desire to be there. Mm-hmm. So um, to to water down the PGA Tour would be a mistake, not just for the PGA Tour but also PIF yeah. and their investment in this. If they're going to own a majority, they still need to maintain that the PGA Tour is the place to be. Right, and their relationships with majors is very important. So investing in the PGA Tour is just as bad. And I hope the PGA Tour recognizes that. Hey, guys, I know you won. You've you've accomplished this reverse merger. You now bought us. We said we were never going to sell to you. Good job. Yep. But do you want us to self implode? I mean, you think about. I, I always reference suits because I watch it too often. But the one time where Scotty actually had put um, uh, Harvey behind the eight ball was when his client was like the small, um, up-and-coming, great uh, real estate um, hotel, um, hotel investor. And he was growing quickly. And then the, Scotty was representing this large um, real est- or hotel um, entrepreneur. And he wanted to acquire or reverse merger and buy um, the smaller entity who Harvey was representing, representing. and Scotty kind of pulled, o- pulled over the wool over Harvey's eyes and, and his client's eyes. But in order f- to stop this merger, the um, the, the smaller ho- um, hotel guy sold off his crown jewels so that it was no longer attractive to acquire. Well, they're well beyond that. They've already said you're, you're in, you can buy it, we're saying yes to all that. So the PIF and the, the person buying in Saudi Arabia, they need to maintain the crown jewels. Yes. Which is just, it's the best. It's not the live event in London. No, it is not. <laughs> it's not beers being thrown on the tee box. As much as the, the, there is that in, inside of the PGA Tour, it's truthfully the four majors. It's the fact it's the best versus the best. It's four-day events, and they need to maintain that while also improving it. And getting all the best to be willing to participate. And 100%. I think the other thing that you can look at here, too, is from the PGA's perspective or their controls perspective, it's like, well, here we can use this as a launching pad. We were already thinking that we were on the up and up with you know new ideas and ways to, to grow the game. This could be a launching pad to reaching, obviously, more of a global... We talked about kind of the F1 model in terms of that idea being spun around in terms of moving golf more globally and having it followed more globally instead of having this kind of fracturing of the game uh, throughout the world. And then who knows, like we we're sitting here, if, if you would have asked us this question in 2013, what we thought the PGA was going to look like in 23, we would definitely not have said what it is. And then if you want to ask us again, what's going to look like in 2033 or 2043, to your point, this is not just about the players and here and now, it's about what is this going to look like in perpetuity for forever for the PGA and what's this who knows what PIF's role is going to be in any of this on a go forward basis right now it probably represents a opportunity to grow something to a point where it would have taken them double triple as long so make your bed with this and have to probably again make some concessions and potentially get face some backlash is what they're I think that's what they're thinking not necessarily what I think but what they're thinking and what they're going to be able to do with that on a long-term basis who knows and it's I think they're they're kind of jumping onto a trample I think they could trampoline themselves into a much more global game and a much more global brand on a very expedited basis by going forth with some of these proposals 100 percent. rory and tiger are gonna get their money and um, i'm sure the live is only gonna do it if they have their own teams but it's coming some way or another somewhere or another i don't know how it's gonna look uh cam recommendations 
I think you had a good podcast in mind. Yeah, I just said from an entertainment, I know I'm always, Joel's got the information for you and making your brain bigger. I got one to turn your brain off and just enjoy and laugh. So uh, Smartless Podcast, I've been, I'm probably slow to it. I think it's been around for a long time. That's Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett, uh, three, I guess, actor comedians. They had Tom Holland on this last week for about 45 minute interview and I just thought it was it was really really good I, I thought it was obviously with being actor to actors kind of thing or people in the entertainment business I feel like people are always have their um, guard down a little bit more and so he was he seemed to me very genuine and off the cuff with his answers and kind of going into his passions and his life a little bit and it was a funny interview and he's he just seems like he's one of those we talked about the <laughs> um, Hollywood stars and how much that's changing. You know, like the the top grossing stars, I think, are all over the age of 40 or something like that when we looked at that list. Like, looking at Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Mark Wahlberg, Tom Cruise, George Clooney. Like, all these people who have been stars for a long time continue to be the ones who are grossing the most. And that wasn't necessarily always the case. There was always like, Oh, well, who's the up and comer? Who's this, the new actors. And I think he kind of falls into that, into the up and comer list. And I think he could be someone who we're talking about or watching on screen for a long time. And he just seems like he's a, you know, kind of down to earth, regular dude for the most part. So that was a good podcast listen. I've listened to a few more of their episodes since, since that as well. And they're, they're pretty entertaining. So that was my recommendation this week. That's a good one. I'm definitely going to be listening to that. Um, huge golf guy, Tom huge Holland. golf guy, yeah. huge golf and watch guy. He's right up my, right up my alley. He's uh <laughs> it's hard not to like him, honestly. Uh, my recommendation for the week, I have quite a few, interestingly, but I'm going to stick to my, the two. I've, I've kind of fallen down this rabbit hole at night of, of micro cap investing. Uh, Ian Castle is phenomenal. Um, I got a video of, <laughs> it's kind of a master class on how to find lightning in a bottle, mm-hmm. um, mostly just so I can get a feel for it. You know, when things start to get frothy, lots of people want to take extra risk and they tend to go out on that curve and micro caps tend to be where it's at. They see a stock go from three cents to 30 cents and they're like, oh my God, I missed out on, on ultra wealth. But there's a lot of nuance to that and, and how to kind of spot that. And Ian Castle, for um, all of those listening, is the king of micro caps. He has an amazing community online, highly recommend. And then um, for those trying to live forever, um, Harvard biologist David Sinclair has a podcast on the world of DAS and it's basically what it's going to take for you to live to 120. Dude's a genius. I, I really enjoy his stuff. He's kind of um, the other person I listen to who isn't um, Peter Atia. Hmm. So really enjoy him. He's got that English accent that makes you believe everything he says everything is 100 percent truth truth yeah fact when someone speaks it with that accent 100 percent. so cam (laughs) next thursday ish maybe let's do it four for four